Let's get real. Who wants to have another surface level conversation? Not us. I'm Samantha. And I'm Christian. Two friends having raw but truth-filled conversations about the messiness of life. So buckle up and don't be shy. Because, yep, we're We're going going there. there. Hello, we are back on another episode of our You Asked, We're Answering series. Welcome back. I feel like we need like a little jingle. I know. To the thing. I like, know. You asked, we're answering. Okay. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I just made that up. I like up. it. I like it. Just made we it up. We have explained this. We don't need to go into it. But basically, we are going one by one each week with some major questions that you guys are asking. And today kind of feels like a heavy one. We're kind of talking through this idea of deconstructing your faith and leaving church and more so on the side of, okay, if you're listening to this, maybe you're not personally deconstructing or kind of thinking through, do you actually want to participate in a local church community? But maybe you have friends who have left church, maybe out of convenience. There's so many different reasons why this is kind of like a catch-all for those type of questions. Yeah. And in every one of these conversations, we really wanted to hone in of like, what is the world saying? What does the Bible talk about in this area? And how do we kind of weed that out as Christians? And so I think in this realm of the conversation of, like we said, you yourself may not be deconstructing, but you probably have friends around you or you have people who maybe don't think going to church is a priority and therefore it's changed their behaviors. And now it's starting to change their belief. And you're walking alongside those people thinking, how do I help them? How do I have conversation about this? What do I bring them into? How do I encourage and love well, not reprimand or shame? And so it feels weighty. It feels complex. We obviously probably all know people in our life who have done this and it's sad and just hard to walk alongside, but we kind of want to piece apart. How do we do that well? And how do we do that as Jesus would do it in this culture that feels very dynamic and really enticing in a lot of ways? Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to dive into two different topics. And so I think I want to start, if you're okay with it, Christian, with talking about actually deconstructing because maybe you're like me. I think I knew kind of what deconstruction meant. It's this trendier term that I've only heard in the last few years. And I sat there as I was prepping and like writing all these notes and thinking, okay, wait, what is deconstruction? Where did this come from? What's the idea? So let's talk about deconstruction and then let's talk about de-churching because we want to make a clear distinction that that's a separate thing. And I for sure have looped both things together in my head because yeah, maybe there is some overlap, but we want to kind of treat them as separate things. So I looked up a little bit about deconstruction and I found that this is not actually new. Like we feel like it's new, but it was adopted from a French philosopher named Jacques Dermata. I'm so glad you tried to say that like that. And he actually was a philosophical naturalist. Like he wasn't in the faith kind of world. So this is a like postmodern word for like language to kind of explain how anything written is only the person's thoughts and can't be held as absolute truth. So when you think of that in terms of biblical knowledge, what is happening? It's people that maybe have believed the Bible and what they know about God to be true, but then take that knowledge and start deconstructing it, pulling it apart and saying, wait a second, this might have been this author's truth, which we believe God was the holy author who ordained people to write each book, but maybe they don't believe that. So they say, these were these people's account. It was true to them, but that doesn't mean it's true to me anymore. And so I think that helped me kind of in the context of like, okay, this isn't actually new. 
this philosopher, he coined this term as a way to like break apart a lot of literature and things way outside of the Christianity sphere. And so I think that context is important because we are a culture who likes to adopt a lot of things and just like plop it onto our own faith when it's like, okay, we have to know context of where these things come from. Mm -hmm. And I think it's good. I don't want to have a bunch of like Christianese in this conversation, but when you talk through what Samantha was just describing there, some of those beliefs are what you would call like an orthodoxy of beliefs or a theology of beliefs. Both of those terms are talking about how we as Christians, maybe you've heard those terms before, maybe you've never, but a lot of times when you attend a church or maybe are new to a church, they'll talk about this is our system of beliefs, this is our orthodoxy, this is our theology. And what we're meaning in that is in Christianity, there is a system of orthodoxy where we believe that God is the creator of all things, that we believe that he is heavenly father, that he is within a part of the Trinity with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I mean, there's a lot of systems of belief in and that all orthodoxy. scripture is God breathed useful for teaching, yep. training, correcting. And I forget the last one. It's a scripture, but you know, like yep. that it's God breathed scripture. Yep. So there's all of these parts of someone's orthodoxy or theology that when they're quote deconstructing, they are starting to say, I don't know if I believe those systems of belief, maybe parts of it but not the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Or I'm questioning those things. That's what we're talking about in deconstructing. Yeah. And as we're sitting on deconstructing individually, I think I've heard of some people, I don't have any personal friends who have done this, like that I've walked right alongside, but I've known of people that are like, oh yeah, so-and-so is like deconstructing. And I think I've thought of that as like, oh, they're stepping away from their faith. And I think what I'm realizing from this definition is to say you're deconstructing doesn't necessarily mean you're completely stepping away from your faith. But as I was processing this, I'm like, okay, well, I feel like I've quote unquote deconstructed. Like I didn't call it that. I didn't think of it as that, but I was raised in a Southern Baptist home and there's a lot from, I say Southern Baptist, like God-fearing parents who love the Lord took me to church. I went to a Southern Baptist church. When I went to college, I, for the first time, took what I had known to be true about my beliefs about God. And then I started personally growing in my faith. I mean, I had been growing in my faith, but I went to the same church that my parents had chosen. So I started looking at scripture. I had other influences of people around me who I saw a really strong faith in their life. And I'm like, oh, they were raised this way and they believe something slightly different than me about baptism or they believe something slightly different about X, Y, and Z. And it was cool because for the first time I was like, oh, this is awesome for me because they say something different and I can see where they got that in scripture. So I'm going to go to the Bible and see what I believe. And so in a way, I look back at my college experience when I really was growing in my walk with God and in my knowledge of who he was. And I think, okay, maybe I was deconstructing. There are certain beliefs that I was taught that I don't believe I'm going against scripture. I've maybe interpreted scripture differently, or I've said like, oh, that actually wasn't ever biblical. That was like man-made rules kind of that I have like put aside, still respect or like understand why people would follow them. But I guess in a way that was me like deconstructing this is from the final episode of The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, which we both listened to that whole podcast series. A lot of people did. If you haven't, it's a really interesting podcast-like series. But he said this, 
We should all be deconstructing our faith. We better do it because our faith becomes a culture, a culture so webbed into the purity of truth, and that's hard to separate the two. And we better do some deconstructing or we're going to find ourselves again and again in the same place. So in context, what he meant by that is like, wait a second, we should be deconstructing our faith. And what he means by that is like, we should constantly be holding what our beliefs are against what culture is telling us our beliefs are. And we should see, okay, does this actually line up with what the Bible says? And so in a way, we get so like, oh my gosh, they're deconstructing. But maybe it's good for all of us to really constantly be evaluating what do I believe and what's biblical and what's not. No, I think it's so good because the amount of conversations, I think we all kind of sit. That's where I wanted, it's like a perfect segue into, so where are we now in this culture? I think we as a generation of people, we all have to admit we sit in an area that I don't know. I don't like to lump our whole generation into one, but I would say, again, you've heard it a billion times, but Samantha and I are really just inspired and on it about people knowing their Bible and really knowing what scripture says. And I think we grew up in a culture where it's easy to just go along with what our parents did or what people are told us about God or the Bible or what is truth. So really, as a culture, I think we are trying to hone in on, we have to be people who actually know what scripture says and make a decision for ourselves of what that means. And so, yeah, in conversation, we should be people who, when people come to us and say, hey, I'm really struggling with like this concept of forgiveness or this concept of grace. Like, I don't understand that. How does that play into my life? Yeah. Like, talk to me about all of these like horrific stories in the Bible where like hundreds of thousands of people die and somehow like God is in this story. Like, let's really piece apart that. I think we have coined this deconstruction term into something that is like, oh gosh, they're deconstructing. Like they no longer believe I can't be around them. When really we should be people who say like, no, yeah, let's dig into that together. Either maybe I've already done the research and I can bring something to the table or hey, like, let's dig into it together because I actually don't know either. And let's piece that together and figure out what scripture says about that because we believe that the Bible has all the answers and is living and breathing inspired by God. Yeah. Another quote I was reading, and I don't know exactly who said this or if it was the author of the article, but it says, deconstruction is a process, deconversion is a result. And that just really made a lot of sense to me because Also, if you're someone that starts questioning things, God is not afraid of your questions. You don't need to go into this panic of, am I deconstructing everything I thought I've known? Well, you can also just say like you're processing through some thoughts and you want to look more into things or researching. I love that idea of like, it's okay to deconstruct what you thought is true. There have been things like we can joke about all the times I said I would never hand my kid an iPad and then I am literally like endless hours of iPad. Your thoughts changed on that. My thoughts changed on that. (laughs) Isn't there beauty in like being able to have different opinions in life? And so that's okay. Where it is hard is like deconversion. Like when like a result of maybe some people deconstructing is deconversion. And like that's where we do see really sad outcomes of people who have been walking with God or saying that they're walking with God because that's always fuzzy to me too. It's like when you genuinely know God, like that's a whole other episode. I don't know. Well, in the result of deconstruction could be then a illegitimate or what Samantha and I would stand here and say, if you are saying the Bible is true and that is truth and it is inspired and breathed by God and the creator of the world, then 
in our belief system, then you cannot take parts of it and not take other parts. And so I think that's where our culture has taken this term deconstruction. When if you're hearing us saying, hey, you can like make whatever belief you want about anything. That's not what we're saying. We're saying like it is okay to question. It is okay to piece apart things. To seek answers. To seek answers, to dig in, to say, this is what I've always believed about baptism. But this is now kind of what I'm thinking that system still has to be put up against and validated with the word of God. And I think that's where it gets messy and it gets hard, but it gets messy and hard because we don't know the Bible or we're not willing to dig into it for ourselves. And I think we need to be people who are willing to do that. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of my life, it was like, well, why do I believe what I believe about X, Y, and Z theologically? And it's because a pastor that I know and trust told me that. And yeah, they can use scripture to back it up, but that doesn't mean that I have dug into scripture. And even asking the Holy Spirit to help reveal to me like how to interpret certain scripture. And so I think that's a whole separate thing than this idea of de-churching that we need to get into. And really quick before we move on, I guess, Going back to like kind of culturally, how would you say, Christian, or like what are some things that we can do? Again, we're just still talking about deconstructing. Like if we have a friend who wakes up one day and is like, wait a second, everything I've ever been told about my faith is wrong or I'm disagreeing now with it or I'm realizing it feels like I've been lied to. Like I'm sure if you're feeling that way, maybe you feel like, oh my gosh, like I was brainwashed. Or I think we can go to extremes when we feel that way because it's a lot of emotions tied up. So how do we walk well along someone walking through that? Yeah, I have had personal experience with this and it's an overwhelming feeling. And so if you feel like that right now, listening to this conversation, it's overwhelming. And we are told in scripture that like sin and hardship in life like should sadden our hearts because it does sadden God's heart and Jesus's heart. I mean, he feels those emotions that we feel. And so I think it's okay to just feel the burden, feel the pain of that, because obviously we want people in relationship with Jesus and we want people to be pursuing that. And so if they're in a place that that's really hard or they're really questioning or doubting, obviously first like bringing it to God. But I think the first and like foremost thing is just entering into that relationship with humility. And it sounds really cliche, but like a posture of curiosity that I think it's really important that we are people who say like, tell me more about that. That, I mean, I, for what, I'm not sitting here saying like, I'm never defensive because Mm -hmm. I for sure am if people know me well. But I think it's really important that I would say humility, a posture of curiosity, active listening, that I'm able to hear them, that maybe the first 10 times we talk about this as they're kind of looking through things, I don't say anything. And I'm just like, hey, I'm here to listen. Let's like, Good listening let's still, just yeah. like hear it all out. I think we have a poor understanding or a poor practice of actually just like listening and then just calmness that can I bring to the situation that, hey, I'm not going to get defensive. I'm not going to stop loving you. I'm not going to stop pursuing you, that I'm going to show you the character of Jesus in how I respond And those are all things of him. So yeah, humility, posture of curiosity, calmness, active listening. I would say all those things. I mean, there's not a black and white way to walk through that. There's not an easy way to say, hey, here's the calculated system for how you can do this with someone. Obviously, there's lots of gray there, but I think that's the easiest and best way to enter into it. I agree with all that. So let's jump in now to this other idea that, again, I think these two things can get really meshed together. Like if someone just stops coming to church, I can probably assume like, oh, they don't believe in God anymore. Like they don't want to follow him. There's so many reasons. And you read a book. I listened to a lot of the podcasts from the authors. There's a lot of research right now about this idea that in evangelical Christianity, we should state that too, this idea of de-churching and coming out of COVID. There's so many factors. So let's dig into that because 
maybe you're listening right now and you're like, no, I do follow God. I want to grow my relationship with him, but I'm not an active member. I'm not a part of any church community. I don't really see the need for it. I've been hurt by church. It's inconvenient. I mean, the list goes on and on. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you're in the same boat as the deconstruction conversation and you know a lot of people. Maybe you are actively participating and involved in your local church community, but you know a lot of people who say like, no, I still believe, but like, I'm just not involved. And so how do you walk alongside someone in that? I think you started listing a lot of good examples. I think you first have to figure out like, why are these people de-churched? I know that sounds really dramatic. It sounds really like, why are we having to label everything? But we want to label it because I think it's important to recognize, you know, these people still believe in orthodoxy. They still have a belief of a sound theology. They just don't see the importance of being a part of a community. And the number one reason in this book, so this book, they surveyed like tons of people. I actually tried to figure out the actual number we of their total We said it in the podcast survey. episode I listened to. The book is called The Great Dechurching. Yes, The Great Dechurching. We'll make sure to tag it if you want to look into it. But the number one reason was just they move, that they get out of a pattern of going to church because they move and they're now out of it. I think the second reason I hear from people is like, it's just inconvenient now that since COVID, we got into a rhythm of doing something different and it's easier that way. I think a really popular opinion or thought is also like, it's just busy that this is the one day we have at home or this is the one day that my kid can do that sporting event that it's too busy of a time of life for us to get to church. And then people just authentically saying like, I haven't found the right fit. Like I just haven't found what I'm looking for. And so I'm just not going to attend because it doesn't really give me exactly what I want. Yeah. The first and second one, too, I think I've seen more in personal relationships, like people that were probably more on the fringe involved with our church that during COVID, our church had to adapt and do a lot of online things. And so you can watch church online, which is a huge convenience, but... I don't think that's how God calls us into participating in an active, live local church. And so that's great for like if I'm traveling or having a sick kid or like during COVID, thank goodness I was still able to like hear truth in my living room once a week. But that can't take the place of going to church. And so I kind of just want to be bold and blunt in saying like if you are a believer, if you call yourself a believer and you think it's okay to not go to church, to not take your children to go to church, to not you and your spouse, or if you're single, that is sin. Like that God actively, actively says that we need to be a part of a local church community. I don't care if it's like a basement church, whatever that looks like for you, we are called to serve and worship with other believers. And I just think it's a part of our culture. Again, I know we keep saying that and we're going back to that that has just become so normalized that like you shouldn't have to do that with your weekend because it's an institution that is man-made and it's messy and it's hard and it's really not that important, but it is, even if it's all of those things too. Yep. And even if you're still questioning if you should be at church or not, I even just looked up all of these verses in the Bible that talk about it's Jesus himself speaking about being a part of a community. Obviously, I think in our Western culture, it's easy to say, yes, a church is an established building with a couple hundred people who have a worship service, a sermon. Like we're saying church, church could look really different. If you are in a season, it could be a basement church with like four families. That is great. What Jesus calls church is a place, a community that empowers 
These are all adjectives throughout verses in Romans and Matthew and Proverbs that I'm pulling from. These are adjectives that how Jesus describes this community, aka the church, that it empowers your relationship with Jesus. It helps us grow. It helps us mature. It encourages us. And it's where Christ's presence is. And so all of those things in all of those ways, Jesus says himself, like, this is not an option to not be a part of a community of believers that does all these things for you, because we know ourselves that we cannot do it alone. We were just talking a few weeks on an episode that we have options here, that the Bible is very clear that, hey, you can either follow Jesus and follow the way of everlasting life, or you will follow the world. And there's not a if or and or but between those things. It is you will follow this or you will follow this. And we have to be people who say, I'm a finite person. I'm going to mess up and fall. And so I need people who empower, who grow, who mature, who encourage. And I need Christ's presence around me because we can't do it alone. So we have to first and foremost say community is important. We have to recognize that. But kind of going back to the deterching thing, we also want to recognize in this conversation, some people, Samantha mentioned it just there in a second, but we want to be sensitive to like some people are de-churched and not a part of a church community because of church hurt. The people who severely in their brokenness really hurt someone. They said something, they did something that the church is not a place that sin is not a part of like sin is very much so a part of a church. And I think that's hard to wrestle with. I think we have to be people who really do say, hey, like, am I just not a part of this because I'm fearful of an institution? I'm fearful of trusting other people. And so I think we kind of have to put that up against it because I think it's confusing because, hey, God's calling me into this, but it's going to be really broken and messy. And there is tension in that. I mean, we have to just kind of state the reality and walk into that knowing this is not going to be a place that's perfect. It's not going to be a place that meets my every need. It's not going to be a place that like never hurts or I don't ever disagree with something. But if it's all those things, all those adjectives that Jesus describes, then we have to say, okay, but am I being encouraged? Am I growing? Am I maturing? We've had a whole episode about, hey, when is it a good time to leave a church? Or what are you looking for when you look for a church? It is okay to be looking for certain things, but I think those have to line up with what the Bible says, like you need to be growing and maturing here. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily have to involve all those other things. Yeah. Before you jump to that one, I have two thoughts. I just don't want to forget them. And then I have thoughts on that too. So I was going to go back to just like this idea of like going to church every Sunday and why it's hard outside of the church hurt. Like if you don't have church hurt, but it's just like inconvenient, it's hard. Going back to that just for a second, I think especially when we have kids, it is so important to have that be a ritual in your life. Because just to be really honest, there are a lot of Sundays that I wake up and I just don't want to do it. We've said this before. Like, I just don't. Like, I'm not like, yeah, I get to go to church today. Now, there are a lot of Sundays that I am excited like that, but it is so much work. It is such a hassle sometimes. Like, it really feels that way. But I think even if I go to church now, most of the time when I feel that way, obviously the second I walk out after service to go pick my kids up, I'm like, wow, it does something to our spirit, to our soul to be able to corporately worship. It just does. Even if I'm still kind of grumpy about being there, I think the act of being disciplined in that is important. It's important for others to see that that's an important thing in my life. We have so many habits and routines that are able to give people an insight into who we are. And I think it's a discipline. It's saying, hey, God, like, 
I'm laying down my Sunday morning. I am humble in the way that I'm saying no to the sports tournaments. I'm saying no to sleeping in, even though I stayed up late last night out with friends. I'm saying no to the comfort. My kids don't like the childcare and it's just so much work because they're just not comfortable there. It's saying, no, I'm laying down my comfort to honor you with my actions because you've called me to it. So I think that is something we need to be clear about. Like sometimes the things we don't want to do, it's a discipline. It's an act. And I'm realigning my priorities to be set with what you're calling me to. Like all of those examples are perfect ones that you've given because I think it's a really simple way that we can say like, no, I want my comfort. I want my ease. I want my morning. I want my time. I want an easy day with my kids. I don't want to have that hardship. And that's actually like all these things that like God never promises us, tells us. He actually tells us the exact opposite. And so I think it's a physical act of us pouring out an obedience saying, no, God, like I want to give you my first. I want to give you my best. Not to be cheesy, yeah. but yeah, it's true. And then the second thing before we jump back to the other church hurt thing, which is so heavy, but I think with kids, especially it's like, maybe you're someone who grew up and you're like, well, my parents took me to church every single week, but that meant nothing. Like they didn't have a genuine faith. Maybe that's true, but I still think those habits, like it was not an option in my family. I know it wasn't in yours either to go to church every Sunday. Now, were my parents perfect in everything they taught us? My dad was just FaceTiming me. Should we answer and ask him? Yes. No, like they are not perfect either. And not all of my siblings go to church and follow God as adults. But I do think for our children to see that that is a priority in their parents' life sets a foundation. I actually heard this random thing on social media yesterday. This is just a side note. I think it was like a youth pastory vibe. It was definitely not something that like I was the target, but I liked what he said. He was talking about how in our testimony, sometimes those of us who were like, well, I was raised in a Christian home, da 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 we can kind of look at that as like, oh, I don't have this like moment of this giant transformation where God took me from here to here, whatever. Actually, that is such a pure example of God's faithfulness in generations. And don't we want 10 generations from our families to be able to say, I've never known a life without my family demonstrating our family serves the Lord. We worship corporately. We honor him with our time in this way. It's like, that is beautiful. That is how he talks about in this generation and this generation and this generation, like generations of faithfulness is shown through that. And it's really, really cool. And I think that will mean something in terms of eternity. Yeah. You and I didn't even talk about that, but I literally had the no. same thought yeah. as we were planning for this because yeah, that is my story that I don't have this like huge realization of a faith that I'm like, is that lame? Like, is my testimony kind of lame? But I was telling someone the other day because we were talking about this. And I said, isn't that a testament though to God's faithfulness in that now I get to see a picture? It came up because someone was telling me just the impact that one of my parents had had on them. And I was like, isn't that awesome that we get to be a part of a larger story that I didn't even know I was a part of at that time just because of God's faithfulness and my parents' obedience and that faithfulness, that it is not going to be easy every day. It's not going to be like, oh, I get to go to church. This is so fun. I get to lead my family this way. I mean, I work on Sundays at our church, so it is a different habit for me, but I'm like, it is a lot to overcome. We talk about that as a staff team all the time that we want to recognize when people walk in the door, when they have come through our parking lot and they're walking in the door for the first time, we want to make that an excellent experience because we believe like God is obviously here and he's working in those lives, but those people have overcome a lot. And so we can do a lot to meet that overcoming that they have done to get there that morning because it's hard. And so we are not sitting here saying, hey, it's easy. Just get there, get your family up, get your like, you know, Just kids do dressed, it. Yeah. all the things like 
We know it's hard, yeah. but we are called into that and calling you to join us in that because it will impact. And we are told that like there will be generations of faithfulness from that. So what was the last thing? You had well, to say? now I'm going to bridge back into the hurt. And this kind of bridges it perfectly. It's like maybe you're sitting there. Well, my parents taught me wacky stuff or wrong theology or my parents took me to church, but they're horrible people and I've been hurt. And that can all be really true. And they talk about like big T, little T trauma and all the things. It's like, maybe you're someone that's just like, I totally disagree with how my parents believe or whatever. I think we can look back and say like, you know what? Some people, not all, I want to make sure I say that, not all, but a lot of people are just trying their best. And now that I'm a parent with two kids, it is comical because like I'm 29 and I feel like I'm still figuring it out. Our parents were too. Like when people complain about all the mistakes their parents made, and I'm, it's just mistakes that I could probably compare to as well. I'm like, okay, yeah, my parents did that and that and that. Yeah. I'm just like, okay, but like they were human. They are human. They are figuring it out until the day that we die, we're going to be figuring it out. So if you have hurt in that way, maybe reevaluate, maybe try a different denomination. Maybe, yeah, there's like Christian was saying, there's so many hurts. Now I will say this. People who have experienced like deep, deep manipulation, maybe even like sexual hurt within a church, leadership that led them super astray. I mean, that can be like really damaging, really damaging. I mean, I was a part of a student ministry in college that like, I'm fine. But like there were some years of unpacking certain things I had been taught and told that was like, whoa, it's just weird when you are used to believing someone and you trust leaders. And then you're like, okay, I'm even now able to say those weren't horrible people. They believed what they were teaching me was truth, but it was actually really hurtful. Christian and I haven't had that experience in a big way of like, wow, I was severely hurt from a church and now I can't go back into one. But I do think there could be redemption in that. I think there is redemption in that. And the cool thing about that as I was like praying through this and processing is like one day, when we are with Jesus, like in that big church, why do I feel like I'm getting emotional? Like that will be redemption. Like you will get to experience a church that is pure and not full of sinful people that are leading you. And so I do feel really sad for people who walk into a church and feel unsafe or hurt because like, I can't imagine how that would feel. But I want to encourage you, like maybe you've been avoiding processing that hurt because you just can't fathom it. But there are churches who want to meet you there. There are churches who would comfort you and care for you gently. And so I don't know the right words for that, but I do know that like that is part of our church and it's sad and it's hard. It's almost like the more I can say there's going to be hurt, there's going to be really messed up things, the more I'm like not shocked when there is and not personally hurt when I hear about it. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And yes, I mean, I'm thankful. We want to talk about this with a lot of tenderness and love because, again, like we don't want to minimize someone's experience in what you have walked through. I think you and I both know details of really hurtful situations and it, again, should like break our hearts. And so it is really hard to say this to people who like, I mean, you guys are sitting on the other end of this mic. It's hard that we don't know your all's story. 
I think a really good point to say is like if you are avoiding going to a church because of a hurt or pain like that, then also when we're asking you to go back to church, it's probably not that same church that you had the hurt well, from. Well, I like, think it's definitely find not. Di- yeah. yeah, I'm like, go find a different yeah. church. I think a lot of people are bound to saying like, well, that's the only place I ever knew or and in this study, it talks about like, yeah, a lot of people felt the weight of like, I got to go back to the same church. And it's like, no, you don't. Like you can go find something different because there's a reality to figuring out what will be productive for me. What will be a place that I find safety, that I can worship, that I do find and feel secure in. And so we want to recognize that that may look like a lot of searching for you. And that is totally mm-hmm. fine. Yeah, that's all good. Yeah. Like that's kind of making me emotional too, because just talking about God's faithfulness in Again, there will be redemption. I know that without a shadow of doubt, like there will be redemption because our God is a faithful God. And I think it is really cool. I hope it's how the Lord has been like maturing our hearts and minds. But yeah, I'm in a place now where even as we talk about humility, how do we enter into someone maybe who's deconstructing with humility? Also, then how do we meet someone who is maybe not going to church anymore with humility to say, hey, I want to recognize the hurt or problem or hardship, whatever that may look like, that I think actually like God has really worked my heart and mind to say, no, I can have humility and I can have love and care for this person because I can recognize the hardship or just the scheduling pain or just whatever you may be walking through to make that hard to get there. I think we have to be people who recognize that and who walk alongside those people with humility because I think the church has done that poorly in the past. And we have to be people who say like, hey, I know this is not done well, but I want to enter alongside with you. When we talk about these people who have casually just not come to church anymore, again, going back to those reasons, because so kind of leaving like the church hurt part, but walking into, hey, it doesn't work for my schedule. There's a lot of layers and parts in this, but it's it's hard for us to caveat all these things. But when we talk about people who have just casually not come back to church, they moved, they're in a new city, they don't know where to go. I think COVID have, was a big thing. It's yes. just like you stopped going during COVID yeah. and you I don't mean, come back. I mean, we know people who are yeah. like very faithful uh-huh. believers of Jesus Christ. And they're just like, to be honest, we haven't been to church in like yeah. nine months now yeah. because our couch is really comfortable mm-hmm. on a Sunday morning. And this is really fun. And to be honest, like most churches poured a lot of resources yeah. into an online experience. So the online experience is like good. You know, yeah. you're like, this is great. Mm-hmm. They have a kid version that my kids are watching on this TV and we're watching this and it's perfect. But one of the questions in the survey was to these casual D churches, the people who just are like, I just haven't gone back because mm-hmm. I don't know why I just yeah. haven't. It's more convenient. They said like, what would you need to get back to church? And they mm-hmm. literally said an invite. I love that part. An invite. Yeah. I need to be invited. And it is more helpful if that invitation comes along with intentionality and pursuit. Like I'm literally trying to apply this to my actual life. I like, did it this week. Yes. I brought someone to church, like texted them before. It's actually one of our babysitters. Like she goes to a church, but in town, a different church. But she had mentioned to me recently that she often goes alone. I'm like, hey, I know you don't go to the cross. Our church is the crossing. No, you don't go. But if you ever want to just have someone to sit with, come with us. Well, we go to a really big church and it's very overwhelming to park and get inside. There's like multiple ways you could enter. I didn't want to have to describe that to her. So I texted, hey, would you rather ride with us or meet us in the parking lot? Okay, meet us in the parking lot. Great. Here's where I'm going to be standing. I'll meet you on the sidewalk so we can physically walk in together. Mm -hmm. I'll meet you by the coffee. We'll get our coffee. We'll walk in together. It's like, Hold their hand. Hold their hand. Well, yeah. So these people talk about literally like just an invitation, an invitation to the neighbor who you see week in and week out mowing their lawn. And you can easily say, 
over time in a conversation say like, hey, you should come to church sometime with us. That then that invitation along with, hey, a prompt of like, hey, I know I invited you. Reminder, like if you want to come, let us know. And then even that morning saying, hey, we're headed there. I'll meet you by the coffee or I'll meet you at this door. I'll or help you ride learn how to get your kids checked in or like I'll introduce you to the people I know standing in the kids area. Whatever. So doesn't that kind of make you just feel like so pathetic? Like, I'm just like, me? All the, no, not you. But I'm like, as a Christian body, I'm like, all oh. these people who have not been going to church anymore, yeah. literally all they say is like, I just need to be invited. But yeah. I just need someone to intentionally pursue oh, yeah. asking me to church. I'm yeah. like, come on, people. And there's, a, there's a few people in my life that I've asked over and over. And you know what? You can't like force someone to show up. But I'm just like, OK, I've offered that. And now I really am like, I feel confident about a couple people that it's like, if they decide they want to come back, like they know who to call to ask. Because I've been in big cities before where you walk into a big church and it is overwhelming. It feels better to go with someone that you know and like. Mm-hmm it feels more comfortable. It's scary. It's like, well, I don't know. Like, how early do I get there? Where do I check these kids in? Like, I don't know how their little iPad system works, but they do and they can help me. Mm -hmm. As I described, I was thinking personally, like, okay, who do I feel just like, I want to invite them to church that I've never asked that of them. Say I'm on this. Yeah, here you go. Name them out. No, I was just thinking of like, what does that look like? And I think sometimes it's hard, even as I mention our neighbor who like we mow literally the same night. I don't mow, guys. Let's just clear this up. I don't mow. My husband (laughs) mows. But the kids and I are normally like running around our lawn when my husband's doing that. And the same family is out every week in and week out of when we do this together. And I just thought like for some reason they came to my mind and I thought, gosh, why does that sometimes just feel so hard? Like, why are we sometimes so intimidated to extend the invite? We just spent a whole episode unpacking all the baggage people have with church. Yes. All the hurt. You don't know if your neighbor has had a horrible experience. So you don't know when saying, like, I think it's subconscious. I know your question. It's simple to ask. But I do think what holds us back from it is because that is a really loaded question, asking someone to come to church. We simplify it down. And it is simple to say those words. But I think what we're having to take into account subconsciously is like, that is a loaded thing in our culture. And so we have to be sensitive to that as we're asking. Well, yeah, I think it's perfect because I'm like, I want to be real like because I don't want you guys to just hear this on the podcast and be like, well, it's easier said than done because I know that's what you're thinking. I know it's easier said than done. But even as we talk about hurt that our parents have given us or just like weird theology that we're like, we are very confused. I think some of us could think like, if that's what Jesus is like, then like, I don't want any part of Jesus. And so this survey talked about an invite is really simple, but how do you actually back that up? And the survey was talking about, we have to be people who display, quote, fruit of the spirit. They didn't say fruit of the spirit in the survey. They're asking these people who don't go to church or who maybe don't even believe in Jesus anymore. Like, what would it give you back? And they were like, I want to see in people that they are peace filled, that they are kind, that they're good, that they're loving to others, that they have patience, that they like exude these character and qualities. I think it's interesting because I think a lot of times we do have these subconscious thoughts of like, people used to ask the big questions of like, is Jesus real? Is Jesus true? Is the Bible the word of God? And I think in our Western culture, a lot of less people are actually asking those questions anymore. And they're asking questions like, is Jesus love? Is he kind? Does he want good things for my life? And so we as Christians have to be people who exude those qualities so that when I ask them to church, it is not this like heavy weighted thing. It's like, hey, we have been kind and we've just been building this casual relationship in our neighborhood for a while. And so I'm going to extend this offering in this way. And so honestly, like the level of intimidation really lowers. For sure. I think. If you have been all those things, like you're saying, the worst thing that they can say is like, no, I'm actually super against church and I'm hurt. And 
cool. Maybe they share with you. And then that gives you an opportunity to be like, I'm so sorry. That has been your experience. So really, it's a win-win. Yeah. Well, we maybe that's that. the first time mm-hmm. that they've ever even been told sorry. And maybe they're like, wow, this is the first time a Christian has ever said, I'm so sorry that that person said that to you. Yeah. And going back to the love, like people don't want the fake Christian-y. Like, like we all know those people that are like, I love Jesus and have the bumper sticker and all the things. It's like, you don't need to be the fake phony Christian. If you too. have the bumper sticker right now, don't make Go peel it make off. feel bad. <laughs> but I'm saying, yeah, I'm nothing against the bumper sticker. I'm talking about the people that it's like, oh, enough people know about the people pre Preaching from their Twitter accounts, but like spitting hate to their neighbor outside of that. You know what I'm saying? So like, that's the taste people have in their mouth, but show them a different way. Be genuine, but like love them genuinely and not in a phony, weird way. Yeah. And again, it's obviously a lot to unpack. I feel like we've caveated a billion things. It's good though. But I think it's so good for us to be reminded, even as just like, it feels really weighty in this culture. And let's all be reminded, this is nothing new. We are not alone. God is here. Yeah. I mean, we are not alone in this. And so I think we should be encouraged and we should feel inspired in that way. But I think that things to remember is just being humble, being kind, being people who have questions to ask and ears to listen, not words to speak right away, and that we do exude all the fruit of the Spirit of being kind and good and gracious and loving to those people around us, because that will make our lives more attractive and the invitation easier. Hey, thanks for going there with us. If you loved what you heard, don't forget to follow along with us at Going There, the podcast. And it also means so much to us if you subscribe to our podcast and shared it with a friend. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon.